This afternoon, we'll be continuing working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, and the first part of the Catechism so far has spoken about our great need for the gospel. And having come to see that and come to recognize that as we've moved our way through, we've now come to the section on our deliverance. And so in connection with this, uh, these, this series of questions and answers, we're going to be reading together from 1 Timothy 2, the verses 1 to 7. 1 Timothy 2, the verses 1 to 7. And this is the letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, encouraging him in his young ministry. He writes, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The Word of God. We'll now look at these questions and answers in the Heidelberg Catechism, and we're going to be reading from two portions today, first Lord's Day 5 and then Lord's Day 6. And if you'd like to follow along, you can find that on page 521 of your book of praise. So we've seen with what gravity God views sin. And so the natural question that follows is this first one in Lord's Day 5. Since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal, that's within this era, within our lives, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payments, either by ourselves or through another. Can we by ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is at the same time true God. Why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who is himself a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator 
who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, why do we feel the need to share the gospel with others? Think about that for a moment. Why do we feel the need to share the gospel with others? Now, keeping that in mind, what do you believe about Christ and about heaven and about hell, about eternal destinations? Back in 2008, a pretty hardcore atheist who's also a comedian made the following statement. I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people that don't proselytize. That means to share the gospel, actually talk about the gospel. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling him this because it would make it socially awkward. And, and now here he speaks in response to atheists who complain about their Christian friends actually sharing the gospel with them. He says, and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone. Keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So he's saying there's a certain point in which someone just shares the gospel with you. This statement makes you think, doesn't it? Keep in mind that this is a man who is an atheist and he says he won't, wouldn't convert anyways even if someone shared the gospel with him. And yet he would still rather that someone tried to reach out to him because for this individual, he sees it as proof that you care. Now, obviously, not all atheists would agree with that statement. I'm sure there's lots out there that don't agree with that statement and would rather that you just left them alone. But this statement does make you think. Because this man recognizes something about the claims of the gospel that we ourselves don't always think about. Now, I want you to think about this not in the sense that it brings you feelings of guilt. Set that aside for a moment. Don't use this quote to try, to try guilt trip yourself into doing more, into, into sharing more. But consider this truth claim that he is speaking about. What value do we put on the gospel? And based on that, how do we approach our fellow believers? How do we approach those who do not believe? And how do we express our care to them? We'll reflect on some of these questions in light of the Lord's Day that we're looking today, as well as this passage, 1 Timothy 2, especially verse 5. Especially verse 5 where we read, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
we'll do this under the following theme and points. There is only one mediator, and we'll see, first of all, how no one else will suffice. In the second place, a personal recognition, and in the third place, a compassionate response. Now, this recognition of there being only one way is not something that's new with the coming of Christ. I want you to think back for a moment, if you're familiar with it, to think back for a moment to the Old Testament, to the days of Moses. Moses was a man who had led Israel out of slavery. They had been held in captivity in Egypt, and they had undergone some serious oppression. The Pharaoh of Egypt was terribly wicked, And among other things, he had ordered that the firstborn sons, that the sons, pardon me, all of the sons of the Hebrews were to be killed. And God had sent this man, Moses, to lead his people out of slavery. He delivered them from slavery and he began to bring them to the land that he had promised to give them. But on this journey, the people began to grumble. You can read about that in Numbers 21. They grumbled against God, and they grumbled against Moses. They lashed out in rebellion against him. And so God, who had been caring for them so tenderly, chose at this point in time to withdraw his protective hand from over his people. He sent snakes into their camp. And what do snakes do when they're agitated? They bite people. Then the people realized what they had done. This became a wake-up call that they had taken God for granted. They had taken his deliverance for granted and his protection throughout their time in the desert for granted. And they cried out to God for mercy. And as you see people beginning to collapse all around and they're crying out to God for mercy, God speaks to Moses and he tells them to put, he tells Moses to put a bronze snake on a pole and then to lift it up in the desert so that all of the Israelites around could fix their eyes on it. And he said as soon as they fix their eyes on that, they would be healed. There was no other way There was no other rescue coming. But it so happened that everyone who looked to it was healed. Can't you imagine that anyone who could on hearing that news would make every effort to raise their eyes? Would make every effort to drag their friends who were suffering over to lift up their eyes and see that snake there in the desert? Consider yourself in that situation or any other situation in which there's only one way out and it's the difference between life and death. Would you not make every effort to pursue that tirelessly, relentlessly? Now, this picture of the snake in the desert doesn't end there. Christ himself uses the same language as Moses lifting up the snake to refer to his own upcoming crucifixion. In John 3, verses 14 and 15, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
just as there was no other option for the Israelites except to lift up their eyes and look at that snake in the desert, to look to this God-provided miracle, so too Christ is teaching us there is no other option for us. Acts 4 verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way to be saved. Again, consider our church's theme for this year from John 15, abiding in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But what does he go on to say? Without me, you can do nothing. And then John 14, verse 6, where Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it was at this time that there were some people, some false teachers, at the time of the writing of the letter to Timothy, that there were some false teachers who were rising up in the church, and they were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah only for the people of God. Jesus was the Messiah only for the Jews. But the Apostle Paul takes issue with that. He says it's not only for the Jews. It's good and right and acceptable for us to pray for all men, for all nations. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's not just for the Jews. God desires for the gospel to go out beyond that to all men. And it's for this reason that the Apostle Paul writes beyond that, for this reason that I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. A teacher for the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is why I was appointed, because there is no other way under heaven by which they might be saved. Where are the Gentiles going to look? If the gospel is only for the Jews, only for the people of God, you and I here today, we're Gentiles. Where else are the Gentiles going to look? And yet, the promise goes out to all nations. And this is where we can take refuge in it. But this is the only way. And this is something that Christ has made very clear. Now, beloved, I want you to dwell on the exclusivity of that claim for a moment. Our society today teaches us that there are many ways to heaven. You need to be tolerant of each other. You have your way, I have mine. Respect each other's truth claims. But Christ makes it very clear that there is no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. Salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. This isn't a statement of arrogance by Christians. It's a statement of truth by Christ himself. Our catechism, as we read it, it points to the truth of this, highlighting what God himself has taught us. You can see, can any mere creature pay for us? It highlights again what God himself tells us in Hebrews. 
that even the Old Testament sacrifices were enough, only in that they pointed to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 4, it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. And in verse 1 of that same chapter, the law, having a shadow of good things to come, can never with these same sacrifices make those who approach perfect. The Apostle Paul is pointing out, he was pointing out that back in that day and today, there is no other way. Christ alone can do this, whether for Jew or for Gentile. There is no other way. As we have the Lord's Supper, celebration of the Lord's Supper coming up again next week, we're reminded to meditate on this fact that God's grace towards us is so great. His way is the only way to be right with God and he grants this to us freely. And this brings us to our second point, a personal recognition. So once again in our passage in verse 5 we read, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And this brings us to the second aspect of Christ alone as mediator that we need to reflect on today. Do we really hold fast to this truth? Do we really take it and make it our own? Not just memorizing it as the right answer, but have we really made it our own? Beloved in Christ, if we truly do want to impact our home, our neighbors, our struggling friends, whether inside or outside of the church, if we truly do want to impact them for Christ, we do need to believe this with our whole heart and soul. We need to make this truth our own. We need to be absolutely secure and confirmed in our identity in Christ. We need to recognize, as our catechism says in Lord's Day 7, it's not only for others, but it's also for me. Do we respond in this way? It can be a struggle sometimes, can't it? You see, we may tell people that we're Christians without always outwardly bearing the marks of Christians. Not in the sense that we are not Christians, let me be clear on that, if there is a case in which by our walk of life we are showing that we are not Christians, well then that is something that we need to repent of. But that's not what I'm speaking of here today. To struggle with where we put our trust is not the same as not being a Christian at all. After all, how often did Jesus not say to his disciples, O you of little faith, while never denying their place in eternity with him when they so frequently doubt it. What I mean is this. Do you grasp that you are forgiven in Christ? Do you believe and do you live like you have this new life and this new start in Christ? Have you made it your own? You, say, you see, it goes both ways. Christ 
is the only way. If Christ is the only way and no one comes to the Father except through Christ, then as we read in 1 John 5 verse 12, this doesn't just exclude those who reject the Son, but it also is inclusive. In 1 John 5 verse 12, it says, He who has the Son has life. If you confess and you believe and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he who has the Son has life. Verse 13 of that same passage, 1 John 5. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. But so often we do struggle, don't we? We feel like we don't appear that way to the world with that knowing certainty. We don't always forgive people as if we have been forgiven. Like We don't forgive people like people who are forgiven. We don't live like those who have a new lease on life. We have exactly the same worldly concerns as those who are around us. There are days when we slip in our focus on the eternal. We forget that we were on a train that was heading unstoppably for a broken bridge and we were snatched to safety. And so there can be times when we struggle with the fact that we look and act no differently from our neighbors. This can happen sometimes Because we have forgotten. We have forgotten the immensity of the salvation that we have received in Christ. We have forgotten to meditate on that, to reflect on that, that certain death and the miraculous grace alone rescue by God himself. Our salvation carries with it a huge mind shift Beloved, suddenly the world shifts from the kingdom, shifts from a a world of, of grace to a world in which you see the kingdom of God and the oppression of Satan. It shifts from seeing the world as, to seeing the world as a kingdom of light at war with a kingdom of darkness. It shifts to a world in which all of history revolves around one figure, Jesus Christ, the only source of our salvation. And every area of life which we submit to God in response to that salvation will have echoes in eternity. This is the lens through which we, as Christians, view the world. And so there are times when we struggle that we need to sit back and reflect on the immensity of what we have been given on the grace that God has so freely poured out. This will result in a mind shift, something we see so frequently already in our lives that we begin to see and something that God continues. A mind shift about me. Suddenly the world is not about my advancement, but it's about the advancement of Christ. After all, my identity is found in him. And so when I speak and I advance, then it is Christ who advances. 
a mind shift in education. Our children are raised in the fear of God. Our children are raised differently. A mind shift in the way that we treat others. Serving them through our work. In humility, considering them first. A mind shift in finance. Our dollars become kingdom dollars, used for our own care and enjoyment, certainly, but also so much more than that. There's an entire world out there that hasn't experienced the salvation of Christ, and mission workers globally need support. And where we have the gifts, we ourselves need funds to be able to carry out that task as well. Now, by God's grace, we see already so much of this at work within our lives. So much of this transforming work, this mind shift that God has granted. But we pray that he would continue to work this mind shift in us so that by a radically different perspectives and lives, people can see that in every area of life, we have our hearts fixed not on this world, but on eternity. That in every area of life, we can see and we can confess that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. I want to remind you of that truth. You have joy in Christ because you who seek forgiveness in Christ are forgiven in Christ. Forgiven even of sins of complacency. Even when we struggle with personal guilt. And he works in us by the power of his spirit to cleanse us to transform us, and to renew our minds. As you turn it over in true repentance and you put your faith in Christ, you stand forgiven. You live in the love of Christ. You respond with love and with a desire to please him who has saved you, who has redeemed you, and who has forgiven you so much. There is no other mediator, no other person who could stand in the gap between us and our Father in heaven, but Jesus Christ. But Christ is the mediator who is perfectly sufficient, and his mercies are new every morning. And this brings us to our third point, a compassionate response. Finally, beloved, let's fully understand the depth of the generosity of that love that comes out of this passage. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And then in verse 5, who gave himself as a ransom for all. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. The book of Romans tells us. And he's given himself as a ransom There was one possible way, only one possible way for us to stand right with God, the way that he's given. And he keeps his children safe. He watches over his sheep. He guards his flock. The way you could picture is, this this is a famous picture that Charles Spurgeon once gave. The way you could picture it is to consider our world. It has two forces at work on it. The centrifugal force, 
that's on our planet as it flies and spins around the sun would make our planet fly outwards going its own way and we would all be lost. Our planet would spin away from the sun into the cold vastness of space and all mankind would perish. All mankind would perish but for the second force at work in this world. The gravity of the sun captures this world in its orbit. The sun, having captured the earth in its orbit, holds it there, granting it warmth and light and life. For those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ has become our gravitational force. Of our own accord, we would spin off into the darkness, into that icy cold, that void, going our own way. But Christ gave himself as a ransom for his people. He holds us in orbit with the bonds of undeserved grace. The sun grants us light in the darkness, the warmth of his love and everlasting life. We need to recognize the truth of what Jesus Christ has said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we need to remember the immensity of his gift of grace, this light in the darkness, and this warmth of his love and everlasting life. We need to hold fast to this because it's only in light of this that it will drive us to a compassionate response. Because we live in a world that is captured in darkness. Light has come to the world, but the world does not understand it, the Apostle John wrote in, the, in his gospel. And yet the same grace is here for all whom the Lord will call to himself. So why would this cause us to respond in compassion? Because we too see what has happened to us. We too were brought out of the darkness into his glorious light. There was only one way and Christ gave himself as our ransom. Can we withhold this truth from others who are in such desperate need of his grace? Let us stand in awe of his grace towards us, beloved. And let us grieve the loss of souls trapped in darkness around the world. Of about 17,000 people groups in this world, 7,000 are still considered unreached. That's over 40% of the world's population. Think about that. Roughly 44,000 men and women perish each day without having heard the gospel. Each day. 44,000. Ought we not to grieve at their loss? Consider how God looked on the people of Nineveh when Jonah said, just destroy them. They're wicked. They're enemies. And yet God had compassion on them. Ought we not to have this spur us on to pray for and to support mission workers around the globe. And at home, 
ought we not to show equal care and prayer? Because the fact that there is no other mediator is true just as much here in Owen Sound as it is across the sea in Papua New Guinea, as it is further south in Brazil, as it is in the Netherlands, as it is wherever we have sent people. More than that, on the home front, do they see our care, beloved? In more ways than just reaching out and sharing the gospel with them and then perhaps giving up when they don't respond immediately, but in praying for them, in granting them support in the day-to-day things, in their hours of need, in their day-to-day lives, do they see our care? And do they see how this care and this love that we have for them translates to eternity so that they can see when, they, when we do share the gospel with them that they can see it's coming from somewhere as that man said in the beginning, that atheist, that we are compelled to share it with them because we love them. Do they see our care? As this world comes to see our care and as we live openly at home witnessing even in our families of the grace of Christ, let them come to see the only mediator, beloved, the only mediator who is in control of your life. The mediator who gave himself as a ransom. We ourselves couldn't pay the price, but he gave himself as a ransom for many because he knew that there was no other way. Beloved, let's rejoice in the grace that is poured out on us by Christ, our only mediator. Let's hold fast to that as our own firm confidence in this world. And let's respond in compassion to a broken and lost world. Amen.